Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this show explores the topics of security, technology, society, and human meaning. Every Monday, there's a news and analysis episode that curates tens of hours of reading into a concise 15-minute summary, as well as regular episodes featuring essays, interviews, and book reviews on these same topics. The goal is to provide a weekly, concise, and curated update on the most interesting things happening in the world, and to explore ideas that give you something to think about and prepare you for what's coming next. All right. In this standalone episode, we have a sponsored lunch interview. This is a series where we emulate a first-time business lunch with a vendor or entrepreneur, where I can hear the pitch and ask my basic questions about the offering. It's a sponsored interview, so I'm not going to go on the attack or anything, but I don't really do that in real life anyway. What you hear is exactly the type of conversation I would have with someone in real life during like a 30-minute lunch or something, where I'm hearing about the solution for the first time. In this conversation, we cover the basic problem they're trying to solve, how their tech is similar and different to competitors, and just generally the regular questions that I would have of somebody if I'm hearing about their solution for the first time. So with that, here's a lunch conversation with Zane Bond, the Director of Product Management at Keeper Security. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Zane. I will have already introduced you, so let's jump right into it. What is it that Keeper does? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I work with uh, Keeper Security, and Keeper itself is really, um, we've been in enterprise password management world for the last uh, 13 plus years, and we're kind of evolving into um, other things past just um, password management through you know, privileged access and secrets management, things like that. But um, at its core, we just we make life easier when it comes to everything password related. Okay, making life easier around password management. Yeah, w- what all does that mean? Because that, c- that can mean a lot of things from like, yeah, you know, KMS, secrets management, like actual yeah, consumer we, side, stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all the way across like from um, accessing your passwords to get into websites. So if you think it, like, just take a step back, think about where Keeper Security started, right? So um, we started uh, as a mobile app for storing passwords. Like, okay. I remember I was on a plane to Japan and had an idea and like, wrote it on the plane over like 14 hours. It was crazy. But but ultimately, it's at its foundation, it's, it's a secure vault um, to store you know your passwords, your credentials, your access to whatever you need on the internet. And then above that, there's additional layers of things that just make sure that accessing it is easier, security, like there's a whole pile of cool things that we throw on top of just password security. Um, so we started on mobile and you know, if you think about, especially with security products, security products are tricky. Like generally you have this mix of like, hey, we're gonna make things more secure, but it's gonna be a little more difficult, right? So we're, we're gonna introduce this level of security, but you're gonna have to, you know, have a hardware token, or you're going to have to log into the VPN first, or you're going to like there's, yeah. there's all these things, and there's, uh, there's always like, a trade-off. Exactly, and, the, and like the security adoption paradox is really that balance of if that trade-off is too painful, then people just don't use your security product, right? And hundred percent, really tricky. Yeah, and um, how, how are you guys managing that that trade-off? We actually don't have that. We 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 have a very different problem where, or we have a, we have a very different um, space that we end in is that we actually make things easier, right? So when you think about it, like if you need to go somewhere, like I need, I don't know, I'm gonna order some shoes off Nike.com, right? You, you go to Nike and you're like, all right, cool. Do I have a login? 
I don't remember how to log in. What email address did I use? What password did I use? Was it the same password for my bank account? Or was it, you know, did I add an exclamation mark at the end or a number one at the end? Did I change one or two? And like, there's this whole cognitive pain around like, just do I even have a login? And then what is the login? And then typing it in and getting it into this. Whereas when you're using the password vault, that just accessing the internet and accessing day-to-day -day things in your life become easier. Sure. It's like, go to the website and it's like, oh, look, it auto-logged me in. I don't, I don't remember. Right. And in addition to making things easier, which is awesome, um, we also make them more secure because, you know, we'll generate a new password for every site. So if, you know, some mom and pop little, like, Etsy store or whatever it is, you know, if they have terrible website security and that password gets compromised, the, the blast radius for that compromise is one website because nobody is sharing logins and sharing passwords. So the really cool thing is we don't have to worry about that whole security adoption problem because fundamentally we make things more secure, but we also make it easier, which is really awesome. Interesting. So walk me through what that looks like. Let, let's say you're going to Nike.com. You've never used your product before. Mm -hmm. um, and you sort of log in normally and you have the problem of like, do you remember your password or not? Uh, say it's written down or say you had to reset your password, whatever. And then now I've installed your product. Yep. What, what does the install look like? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's super, super easy, right? We, we're, we've got like 15 million plus consumers and it's across all walks of life. We've got, you know, tens of thousands of businesses that we work with. So the vault itself has been battle tested against just any number of people, use cases, websites, and clients. But the experience is, I don't know, if you're on a mobile device, we'll use your native, you know, um, we'll have a mobile app that can do injection into the websites and put the passwords in there. But I think in your example, like, let's just imagine you're on a desktop, right? Yeah, desktop, yep. Sure. And so you're in Chrome, you would just go to, or whatever browser you're in, you would go to the App Store and install the Keeper extension. So if you're on Safari, you have a Safari extension. If you're on Chrome, i.e. Firefox, Edge, Brave, whatever. Like, there's just, there's a thing that ties into your browser and so when you go to the website, if you don't have something saved, they'll say, hey, um, we don't see anything saved. Do you want us to generate a secure password for you? So if you're on the new account creation and you're in the about to you know, type in a password, instead of typing something in, you just put a little nice button, it generates one for you, and it saves it. So that helps with the, you know, making sure that you have generally pretty good hygiene around creation of new sites. Um, or when you log into a website for the first time, it's like, hey, I noticed this. <laughs> site that you just entered the password for and um, it isn't in your vault, do you want to save it? You click yes and you're good and it saves it in the vault. So the next time you go there, it just is like, oh, by the way, you've already got a login. Do you want me to fill it for you? Yeah, that makes sense. And then that is, I, I assume, stored in some secure way in the cloud. So if I then go to an, another desktop and I install the extension and then I go to Nike.com, should fill in, right? That, that That's exactly it, right? So the technology underneath what we do um, is actually really cool from a security perspective. Um, so you, you hear the buzzwords in our industry nowadays of zero knowledge, no, zero trust. Zero trust is a big one. Mm -hmm. And zero trust is basically just, it's the same thing we've been saying in the security space for like 20 years. It used to be uh, principle of least privilege. It used to be mandatory access control. But it's basically, if you don't have a good reason to access this thing, don't have access, right? Yeah. Make, make, make sure that only authorized people get it and don't give you everything by default. Um, so obviously we have that, and it's, it's a good security practice. Um, but we've also got this other thing called zero knowledge. And what zero knowledge means is we as a vendor have absolutely no knowledge about your passwords, your behavior, your logins, everything, right? So um, what sites you're going to, what your passwords are, where, where you are, you know, do you have poor passwords? Are they breached on the dark web? We have absolutely zero knowledge of that. So we kind of architected the product that 
everything is decrypted client side, and what gets sent to the cloud is encrypted ciphertext that we just we have no means to um, get to, even if we even if we really wanted to. It's kind of a pain because you know people are like, "Hey, I forgot my password. I didn't set up any recovery. I lost the email address that I signed up with," and we're like, "Cool, we can't get to your vault. We can't open it for you. I'm sorry. We can delete it for you, and you can start again." Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah it, I like it, that model. Yeah, it's it's really good for me consumer and user privacy perspective, it's really important because if we have a malicious insider, you know, they can't decrypt your vaults. They can't do anything. Um, if the government decides, hey, Daniel, we think you're a terrorist, give us your vault, so we literally can't. We have no means to do that. We're like, yeah, it's a short conversation. You're just like, we are yeah. physically unable to do so. Exactly. And um, even at the enterprise level, like the, the default configuration of our system is that your vault and your records are private even from your enterprise administrators. If you don't share your passwords with somebody, they can't see them. They'll be able to see some metadata, like, do you have multi-factor? Are you logged in properly? You know, is it a good password? Is it a bad password? But they'll never actually know um, what your passwords are if you don't want them to. So privacy and security are just really, really strong and foundational in everything we do. That makes um, sense. A complete nightmare from a product perspective. It's way easier to just be like, oh, give us the master unlock key, and we can do all kinds of analytics and stuff. You can do that. But um, it's really, really good from a user and a privacy standpoint. That makes sense. You mentioned enterprise. What does that look like? Um, how does that deployment work? What's the user experience? Yeah, absolutely. So um, generally within the enterprise, you have a couple of like standards or controls or th things you want. Maybe you have single sign-on. You're using Okta or Azure Active Directory, or you're using something for standardized authentication. So with us, you go to the website, you set up your account, you tie it into your Okta, or you tie it into your um, Active Directory. This is like less than 10 minutes to get up and running, right? And then you can set up your users to auto-provision. And so when somebody is like, hey, um, my company just bought Keeper, you go to the website, you log in with your single sign-on, and poof, you got a vault. It's just there, and it works. Um, from an administrator perspective, they've got a ton of controls around, you know, can you share these records externally? You know, are you allowed to store files? Can you use these record types? Can we restrict mobile access or desktop? Like, the administrator has a really robust set of controls that they can set up for portions of the user base, all the user base, individual users, whatever they want. Um, but the vault you would use, the mobile apps you use as a consumer, they're actually the, the same vault you would use as an enterprise. And so super, super easy to use. Um, you, know, you mean in terms of like the, the, the interaction point of like the browser and the extension? It's the same exactly. experience? Okay. Yep. Yeah, so the browser experience, the mobile apps, all that, we just, we have one. And if you're a consumer, you just use that. And if you're a business or an enterprise, you use the same thing, but there's controls over there. Like, oh, you, you're not allowed to share stuff outside of this folder or, you know, um, just what, whatever the enterprise mandates or you have to use multi-factor um, to authenticate to the vault. Okay, that makes sense. And so you've also got the hookups into the SSO systems yep. to make that transparent. Yeah. Um, what, what does the mobile experience look like? Doing that same thing for Nike or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. It's super, super easy, right? So you were on the desktop, you saved your Nike record to your vault, you log into your uh, mobile app, and um, either in the mobile app, you can just open up Nike and hit the launch button, and it'll launch a web page and auto-fill in the password. Or the alternate experience, which is probably a little more likely, is you're just browsing on your phone, right? You open up Safari or something, or um, the Android browser, and you go to a website, and you click the passwords button, um, the operating systems have a little password thing, and it just pulls those passwords or the list of your accounts directly from our vault, from the app. And it'll you know, type it directly into the uh, password for you. You're not having to you know, go back and forth between apps and copy and paste and all that fun stuff. It just Okay, so you stay inside the actual browser that you're using. And yep. then because you have 
uh, the Keeper app installed, it's going to just autofill. Exactly. Yeah. The the browser, um, the mobile operating systems have a method to say, this is a password field, go get the password from, from some app. And we just, you know, when we installed, we encourage you to enable us as the app, as your password calls. Okay, perfect. And uh, what type of other features do you have that, that are sort of outside of this main lane that kind of differentiate you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, every way you can think about, you know, around like accessing websites, accessing stuff, that, that's the foundational set that we built on. We have a whole other set of record types where you can store like secure files and do secure file sharing, like family sharing, maybe a family account and you want everybody to have you know, a couple of accounts that are shared. Um, those options are uh, incredibly useful and popular. Um, we've got uh, even like our one-time sharing where you create like a URL to a record, say, hey, Bob, you know, here's my Wi-Fi password, you know, and you just send them a little QR code or something, they scan it, and they're good. Um, okay, so file sharing. So let's talk about that. What does that look like? So you're trying to send me something. And let's say I'm not in your ecosystem yet, but you are. Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah, so you've got two options. Um, the one-time share is designed for, you know, you're not a keeper user. So all I do is I go to a record, I create the one-time share, and either get a QR code that I hold on my phone and you can scan it, or a little URL. Um, and I send that to you when you open it, you just have the record. Um, again, there's a whole lot of security and encryption underneath that that really locks it down. It's, it's device locked, it's time access, there's an audit trail to understand who's been accessing it and where it was. If the URL gets intercepted you know, later on, it doesn't work because it's device locked to that one device. Like, there's a whole lot of really cool security stuff around there. But the, the actual user experience is, here's a URL, just open it. And when you open it, you have a web page with a password. Um, for okay, regular... so, so but, but you, you sent it to me, and I'm not a user yet. You say I get the thing already, or it prompts me to onboard onto your system. No, no. Um, if you want, you just like for something real simple like Wi-Fi. Like I don't want you to install an app and you know sign up for an account, put in an email and a password, and do all that fun stuff just to get on the Wi-Fi, right? So in that case, you just do the one-time sharing, and here's your URL. If you liked it, install Keeper. Have fun. Um, now, from a more permanent sharing perspective, um, if you have the app installed, and if somebody does actually onboard, you know, download the app. When you set up a sharing relationship with someone, that's where you can set up a permanent, like, hey, here's a record. I'm going to, you know, here's my Twitch account for some reason. I'm going to give it to you. And then that just shows up in your vault. If I update it, it gets updated in their vault. I can revoke the share access and pull it out. Um, but, like, the everything around either record or folder sharing is um, really easy. But for that really simple use case of you're not a Keeper user, let me just get to the info. You know, I paid for Keeper here. Open up this URL, and it'll just work. That makes sense. And then are those URLs... Uh... Like you said, so they expire, um, but it also requires the knowledge of that specific URL, right? It's difficult Correct. to just like randomly discover. Yeah, and now you wouldn't be able to randomly put that in. And it's also, um, it's specifically device locked, which is an interesting thing here because when I send it to you, under the hood, what I'm sending is a partial decryption key fragment and your secure browser will get the ciphertext from the cloud, use that decryption key fragment and decrypt it on the web page and then save that decryption key in the browser, and it can't be reused. So if somebody afterwards gets that URL and is like, ha I hacked into your email, and I've got all these, you know, here's my Wi-Fi password, or here's my you know, Gmail password, when they open up those URLs, they just don't work anymore because the first device that opens it, the device locks it. Oh, interesting. So it's a one-time use for yep. based on who receives it first. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, really, like, we, we do an, an enormous amount to make sure that security is at the forefront, but is, like, almost entirely transparent. Like you're never worrying about your know, encryption or decryption keys or any of that stuff. It's just, I don't know, you know, I want to give you a record, click share, poof, we're done. You know, I want to 
log into a different device, it'll bring it down from the cloud and do what it needs. Now, so that's the foundational core platform of all the cool admin controls. Uh, we've got a couple of other products in our portfolio. We've got um, Keeper Secrets Manager. So most of what we've been talking about so far are the the use cases for humans. Like, sure. Hey, I need to log into a website. Let me do multi-factor. Let me you know, do a YubiKey. Let me do single sign-out or auth or whatever it is. Secrets management is a very similar set of use cases designed for machines. So I've got a database, you know, and uh, or I've got a web server. And every time the web server starts up, it needs to figure out how to talk to the database. Um, traditionally, what has happened in the past is the engineer at the time is like, I don't know where I'm going to put the password. I'll put it in a contract file. I'll put it in the source code. I'll mm -hmm. put it in the DevOps system. But the passwords end up all over the place. And um, generally, when somebody's thinking about breaching you or getting in, like they're not like, cool, I really want to get, you know, someone's desktop. Like that's their entry point. But then it's like, let me find something juicier. Let me find where the source code is, your credit card lists, your customer list, all that fun stuff. And so there's a lot of like recon and lateral movement or attempts for privilege escalation. But all those things typically are like, what's out there? Where are your passwords? How can I get stuff? How do I get to this database? So mm -hmm. Secrets Manager really allows you to stop hard coding everything and have all those secrets pulled at runtime so they're not sitting on the devices, they're not long-term. And then if something happens and you have to change a password, everything doesn't melt because um, you know where it is and you know what's going to be affected. And I think the last uh, product in our portfolio that kind of assists with that also is Keeper Connection Manager. And that's um, remote access to your targets. So if I need to RDP into a box, I can use Connection Manager. And it's a little web portal that sits in the front. It records your sessions, it tracks everything, and you don't have to install any clients or agents. It's just really easy access to RDP, SSH, VNC, MySQL, Kubernetes, whatever it is you need. Uh, we can broker that access securely and uh, monitor it. Oh, interesting. Uh, OK, so let's take the first one uh, first. Sure. So um, I'm trying to write a piece of uh, Terraform code or something to have like an AWS API key. Yep. Um, would I use that uh, with the product? Yeah, absolutely. So typically what you're doing now, right, in Terraform, you would um, either in your deployment or in your build or at runtime, you would have API key equals. Mm -hmm. What you do now instead is you say API key equals get this GUID from Keeper. And um, you would install some, like within Terraform, you would have like uh, trust relationship between your build system and Keeper. Mm -hmm. And so at runtime, it's like, all right, API key equals, let me get it from the cloud. So even the engineers that are building it, they never see the key. All they see is the GUID. Like, it's this record in the vault, go get it. So it's not being exposed like day in and day out when things are being written. And if you do need a new key and you've got you know 15 different jobs that are all pulling that key, they're all going to pull from the same records. You have to hit the record once and all the jobs pull the correct stuff instead of like, oh, I'll search for the key. Let me search for the password and hope I get them all. And you know, maybe something won't go down. Okay. Yeah. And if someone pulls all of your Terraform configs, they're just going to have that like variable placeholder. Yeah, they're just going to get the goods. They're yeah, not yeah. Passwords or, um, the same like if, if you have like uh, uh, SSL certs or PEM files, you know, something additional like files, not just passwords, again, have them retrieve them from the vault instead of storing them on the file system. Yeah, that makes sense. And for the other one, that's really interesting. I didn't know you guys were in that space. That is um, awesome. So it's basically abstracting access away from the specific protocol that's used to get into it, like SSH or RDP or whatever. So you're just saying, I want to whatever, remotely view this thing or remotely control this thing. And so on the back end, you're speaking the actual protocol, but you're speaking the easy protocol facing the user. Is that right? Uh, yes. So uh, one of the fun things about this is um, we acquired a company earlier this year, um, Glyptodon. They're the original founders and writers of the Apache Guacamole project. So if you're familiar with Guacamole, that's 
the, the technology we have. But it's um, it's a web portal that you just log into. Mm-hmm. And you say, hey, I need to get to my, I don't know, my build system. You click the button, and it takes you to your build system. Um, on the back end, it's pulling the passwords from the vaults. So the, the passwords are never decrypted or the cert files or whatever it is, you know, to authenticate. And talking to the target, you know, it's, we use the native SSH protocol. So you're not installing agents on everything. You're not punching out firewalls or opening up new ports. If you want to RDP into some boxes, we'll use the RDP protocol. SSH, we'll use the SSH protocol. So it's a very easy way to put a like a bastion in front of all these targets. So now you can have single sign-on. You can have multi-factor challenges. You can have session recording, keystroke recording, um, you know, limited access, whatever it is you need. And then as, as a user accessing this, I don't have to do anything. It's just if I've got Chrome, Edge, Firefox, whatever, I just log onto the portal and it works. That makes sense. Yeah. Then ideally, you could potentially set up like, oh, this customer service person needs these five applications. When they log in, they have these five things that they go to or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, you can set it up based on like roles. Like, all right, you're in the dev team, so you're going to at least sync that with AD, and we'll make sure you get the appropriate things available. And you may have access to these systems, but again, the, the passwords, the um, SSH keys to access them, those are completely abstracted. So you never have those passwords. They're just... I need to get to my you know build system. I click the button and I'm on the build system logged on as sudo. And how how easy is it to enroll new stuff that you want to connect to in the backend? Yeah, it's um, super easy because because we're using some of the native connection methods. You don't have to reconfigure the target, right? If if today it's a Windows box and you RDP into it, then you just put in your RDP credentials into Keeper Connection Manager, and it works. You're not you know there's no agents, there's no firewalls, nothing to plug, like open up. And the, the bastion itself is on your network, but the, the access portal, that, that can be you know available anywhere. So now it allows you to get to these things without a VPN. As long as you can authenticate and pass your you know, Okta or Azure or your single sign-on challenge, then you can get to your targets. Now you're not worried about VPN access. Um, you know, if it's a low trust person and they only need one thing, then VPN's way too much access. And uh, for everybody else, it's kind of a pain just having to sign in every time and slow down everything. Oh, interesting. So this is not an internally hosted portal. It's a cloud-based portal. It can be, yes. Okay, it can be either. Yeah, the, the Bastion itself is something you install, but the, the web portal can be available. You know. Okay, so the web portal talks to the Bastion. The Bastion reach, reaches backwards and speaks to the proprietary protocols. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, that is kind of a... Um, it's a alternative to a VPN. Um, and so how are these... Uh, Priced, um, not 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 like the actual money, but um, the, the different products. Like it's each of the pieces cool. of functionality you mentioned are like their yeah. own product suites. Everything's per user. Okay. Right. So, how many people do you have, and what do they need to do? Um, okay. In general, you're going to have like password vaults are for everybody. Like if you're on the internet, you've got passwords. If you've got passwords, you need a vault. So your password vault, um, you know, really competitively priced, um, really great, rich feature set, and you know everybody gets one of those. If you're in the DevOps or IT teams, maybe you need Secrets Manager to you know stop hard getting those credentials and help your build system succeed. And then on the connection side, that would be your IT admins, that would be your, you know, obviously your devs and engineers. But we've also found that um, there's some really interesting use cases around like education, um, medical, where it's like, hey, I need a virtual desktop and I'm just gonna log on to either a lab or a shared computer or a thin client. And once I authenticate, it takes me to my desktop that has all my files and everything on it. Interesting. So who else is playing in the space, like competitor-wise? It seems like it might be different products because you're in 
those different spaces? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So on the, on the password side, we kind of rerun into um, like LastPass, OnePassword, um, Dashlane. Those are the types of customers companies we run into a lot. Um, on the secrets management side, usually we run into like a HashiCorp vault, okay, or a CyberArk, and then on the connection or the privileged access, that would be um, CyberArk, Bicotic, Delidia, Beyond Trust. Those are the privileged access vendors. That makes sense. And is is that a compelling thing that you can do all those different spaces in one product? Is that something people like? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, typically, what you find, especially on like the, the DevOps tools and your privileged access. Like they have this really rich feature set that's only for privileged users. I'm like nobody else gets to use it. And if you need to onboard someone, it's either prohibitively expensive to get a license for them, or you just kind of sneaking up the passwords and hope, hope it right that you know doesn't get intercepted. Whereas the the enterprise password vault being available to everybody really makes it easy for like I don't know like um, if someone in procurement were to buy that API key from Google, how do they get it to the engineer safely, right? Like well, obviously they're gonna put it in an email. That's a terrible idea. Stop doing that. Um, but here, you can just take the API key, throw it in the record, share it with your engineers, and then you know it's securely transported from point A to point B, and um, not exposed, and the right the right technical bug handled without issues. Interesting. Is there something that you're uh, that you're working on, like a challenge that you're trying to solve um, that's kind of nagging you, or or you're building a feature set around? Hmm. Um, I would say. With the connection manager being a relatively recent acquisition, um, fully integrating that into our portfolio, you know, from tying in the events to the alerting um, to just getting that UI embedded into our vault and into our cloud, those are the types of things that it's kind of natural. Like we bought this technology, it's great. Yes, you know, put it in the portal. I think those are some of the big things that we're looking at immediately. Um, on the customer side, it's always about continually thinking about the evolution of how people access what they need and you know how people interact with the web. And so you find a lot of like buzzwords around hey passwordless and Yeah, I was just gonna say that passwordless. Yeah, and everybody's like, I don't know what passwordless is, but man, password sucks. So I'll take one of those. I don't care what it is. I just want one, right? Yeah. And um when you peel the layers back, it's just it's it's basically multi-factor, right? Like you think about authentication, it's something you know, a password, something you have, a YubiKey, something you are, a biometric. A passwordless is just skip number one and just use a device and a biometric. And so, yeah, yeah sure. It's actually a bit of a misnomer because um, in all of those passwordless systems that I've seen, you're actually still entering username and password. The passwordless part is for the second factor. You're not actually getting a token back. It's just transparently being sent to a trusted domain on the back end without the user getting that that third piece, which means it can't be fished, but technically the password already happened. Yeah, um, and a lot of passwordless implementations are just like a lot of hand waving with multi-factor, like ooh, hey, you know, we've got a thing, and uh, not really. Um, there are some true passwordless solutions out there where you your original security key is cryptographically generated and tied to a biometrics or something. Um, but again, like the implementation is still a pain, and you still have the I don't know, if, if you're moving away from something you know like a password and your primary factor is something you are like a biometric, um, cool. What happens when your fingerprint or iris scan gets compromised? Like you can't just change it and buy a new one, right? So so now you've got some interesting issues that you have to worry about uh, that you didn't. So um, I don't know, passwordless sounds really cool um, and it has some potential. I think when the when the platform vendors better enable it. Your, you know, your Microsoft, 
on the Windows platform, your Google on the Android platform, your Apple on iOS. When passwordless gets embedded into the platforms and there's a unified method that's not like you must buy all Apple stuff, otherwise it doesn't work. Yeah. Once we get to that perspective, then we can actually start thinking about moving past passwords over the next 5, 10, 15 years. But, um, you know, just like some barbecue stand on the side of the road who wants an online store, like just creating a website with a password is a whole lot easier than learning this, you know, OAuth and Fido. It's like, I don't have time for that stuff. I'm, I'm doing barbecue, right? So password is going to be around for a while. And um, it's really about how are you using them and how do we make your life easier? As long as we're doing that day in and day out, I think we're winning. Yeah, well, I mean, I like I was saying before, I don't think it solves the problem of username and password. It's only solving the problem of the second factor exchange. Well, um, it can solve the problem of username and password because if your device generates your original encryption key and then you're using like biometrics as a second factor, right? You can use that device generated key to authenticate and for an assertion of identity instead mm. of a password. So you can actually get it if you implement it properly. But it usually involves like some combination of you must have this phone and click yes on the phone, and then you do like a fingerprint scan or a face scan yeah. to validate that. And that becomes your first and second factor. Um, something you have and something you are. Um, sure. And there's a couple of implementations that allow that, but most of them were just like, oh, we're just going to save the password and not ask you for it every time. Yeah. I was like, cool, then websites have been doing passwordless for the last 10 years because there's a safe password button, right? Right. <laughs> but, so yeah, a, a, lot of, a lot of people don't quite get it as a technology. Um, but the reason it's got such traction is there's a universal understanding that passwords suck. So, yeah, may maybe the best thing about it is its name, because people yeah, are just like, super excited to, to get rid yeah, of passwords. Just, just the name, passwords. <laughs> like, Shit, that's great. I don't know what it is. I've got 300 websites and 200 passwords. I, I, I want to get rid of them all. Yeah. And then you peel back and you're like, but this isn't any better. This isn't easier. This has security problems. This, how, what happens if my you know, fingerprint gets compromised? And there's a whole lot of things that people don't think about when they hear passwordless. Yeah. So I got, I got um, a last question here. What, um, what do you believe about passwords or password security? And maybe we just talked about it that um, you believe strongly that other people don't agree with you about. What I believe strongly that other people don't agree. Um, yeah. I, I think a lot of the discussion we had around passwordless, um, yeah, just being a lot more marketing than substance um, definitely is a thing. Um, I don't know. Just I'm I'm really a big fan of if a security product can make your life easier and more secure, um, that is really um, an important win. And too many security products either take the easy path out or they just get lazy and are like, it's going to be a little more hard, but it's going to be a lot more secure to so deal with it. Yeah, and, you know, you're like corporate policy pushing it down. And I think to an extent, like that just it feels like laziness on the security vendors side. Mm. there's always a way to solve problems elegantly it's just not easy like sometimes you really have to do a lot more work where it's like look this whole key exchange thing it's a nightmare let me just give you a code and have you type in you know the response code be like no stop that you know embed it somewhere make it easy make it really elegant and hidden um and technically it's, it's more difficult to build but i'm a huge fan of making things easier when you're solving a problem not just making them more secure yeah that makes sense. Otherwise, yeah, like like you said, people won't use it. Yeah. Is it. Is there anything else uh, you would like to share with uh, the audience? Um, no, I think 
And that's that's um, a lot of the big stuff there that we covered. Um, you know, I don't know, like my general advice, like outside of business, is just like you know to be more secure on the internet. Like yeah. there's three things that you should always do, which is you know, be smart with passwords. Um, patch your stuff and don't click on things you shouldn't. Like if you do yeah. those things, it's like you've pretty much solved your eighty percent of your cybersecurity problems. And so I really like the fact that you know at least in my current role, I'm working towards like one of those three core things that you really should be doing on the internet. So I like that. Yeah, I like those three. I, I love how really complex problems are solved usually by very simple things. And the three yeah. you mentioned, like you said, probably an eighty percent. Yeah. No. If if you're doing that the odds of you getting attacked or compromised are just, they, they hit the floor. Yeah. Awesome. And where can we find more about uh, Keeper online? Uh, Keepersecurity.com. Uh, you want to talk to sales, sales at Keeper Security. And um, yeah, it's, um, just reach out to us if you're interested on the website. All right, Dan. It was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Daniel. Unsupervised Learning is produced and edited by Daniel Meisler on a U87 AI microphone using Hindenburg. Intro and outro music is by Zombie, with a Y. And to get the text and links from this episode, sign up for the newsletter version of the show at danielmeisler.com slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.